This is Lindsay Banks, staff writer for the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. You can learn more about the Charlotte Ledger or subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today, we're talking to Brandon Jones, the Catawba Riverkeeper, to learn more about the Catawba Watery River Basin. If you didn't know, the Catawba River runs west of Charlotte along the Mecklenburg County and Gaston County line. But the River Basin is more than just the Catawba River. We're here to learn more about the basin, why it's important, and how we can help protect it. Brandon, thanks for being here. Right now, we are sitting in the new headquarters for the Catawba Riverkeeper Foundation in McAdamville, North Carolina. It's about 20 minutes outside of Charlotte. You just moved in three weeks ago. We'll talk more about that later and a little bit more about the headquarters and, and what you have here. But the first question I want to ask you is a little bit about yourself. So can you tell us your background, how long you've been the Catawba Riverkeeper and kind of what led you to this organization? Yeah, so uh, thanks for coming. My name is Brandon Jones. I'm the Catawba Riverkeeper at the Catawba Riverkeeper Foundation. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit that seeks to educate and advocate for the entire Catawba Wari River Basin. So it's a really big watershed. We start all the way up in Black Mountain, Catawba Falls, uh, run through a series of reservoirs, including Mountain Island Lake, Lake Norman, Lake Wiley, ones that your, your readers probably, your listeners probably know about. Um, but we continue down into South Carolina and our jurisdiction actually ends at Congaree National Park, um, where the Water River becomes the, the Santee. I've been with the organization for about five years now, as uh, first as a program coordinator, and as Riverkeeper for the last four years. And so I'm our lead scientist and advocate. I manage a team of watershed managers who are geographically based staff scientists. Um, and then we have a small policy team as well that focuses on legislative issues. Uh, previous to this, uh, I've been a raft guide uh, at the U.S. National Whitewater Center for 16 years now, way too long. Um, and I um, went to grad school at UNC Charlotte for Earth Sciences, uh, with a focus in hydrology. And before that, I was at UNC Chapel Hill, where I studied economics with a minor in environmental science. Awesome. So could you give us a definition of what a river keeper exactly is? Maybe just a broad general job description, but then also maybe go into some specifics that you do as the Catawba River Keeper. Sure. So river keepers are a part of the Waterkeeper Alliance. And so this is a larger coalition of groups that really focus on water quality. Uh, so we kind of started uh, with the Clean Water Act in the early 1970s. Uh, the Hudson River Keeper was the first. Uh, we are, I believe, the 20th or about thereof. We were founded 25 years ago. Every organization, whether they are a river keeper or a bay keeper or a lake keeper, uh, focuses on a specific um, hydrologic unit. And so in this case, we're looking at the Catawba Wari River Basin. So it's not just the river, not just the lakes, but all the creeks and streams that feed into that. Um, and then every riverkeeper organization is also different on what they focus on. You know, for example, here in the Catawba Basin, we look at stormwater a lot. Some areas might not have those at all. Like, for example, the Cape Fear River Basin, they focus a lot on PFAS or these kind of legacy contaminants that they've had in the Wilmington water supply. Um, so every group is a little bit different, but you all, we all seek to kind of enforce the Clean Water Act and make sure that all of our waters are swimmable, fishable, and drinkable. You should be able to go out and swim in the creek or the lake and not get sick. Um, you should be able to you know, pull that water for you know, through standard operations and get drinking water. Um, and then you should be able to go fishing there and there should be fish in the water and you should be able to eat those fish and not get sick. Great. And I know that you've already gone into the geography of the Catawba River Basin a little bit, but most of our readers and listeners are from the Charlotte area. So could you maybe talk a little bit about 
the Charlotte area and where it falls on the river basin and maybe some other bodies of water other than the Catawba River? Sure. Yeah. So we base everything, again, on these kind of river basins or watershed areas. And so you can kind of think of wherever a drop of water lands and then eventually goes to. So if you're in you know, downtown Charlotte, you're probably in like the Little Sugar Creek Greenway. And so if you're in the parking lot near Panther Stadium, it might run into like Tiger Creek or, you know, if you're over further to the east side, you might be on the McAlpine Creek watershed. We, most of those now have greenways along them. Some of your, your readers or listeners might have been on. Um, all of those are going to flow into Sugar Creek, um, which eventually goes across the state line and then goes into the Catawba River just south of Lake Wiley. Um, but our jurisdiction covers a much larger area. And so we're looking at about 5,000 square miles, two states, 26 counties, uh, roughly 8,900 linear feet of waterways. So it's a lot. We have a staff of 12. Uh, so we heavily rely on individuals, uh, people to you know, see pollution in their own backyards and let us know. We have a, a citizen science training program called Water Watchers, where we train people to actually look for those different types of pollution. Um, then we have an app, uh, the Catawba Riverkeeper app, uh, which people can then log that. Um, we can go out and do investigations. But there are uh, 11 total reservoirs in the basin. So you've got James, Roadhiss, Hickory, Lookout Shoals, Norman, Mountain Island, Wiley. And then you got this beautiful 26-mile free-flowing section, which a lot of people might have been tubing on, right below the Wiley Dam. It's a very popular area to get a tube and paddle on. That passes past Lansford Canal State Park, where the spire lilies are, uh, down into Fishing Creek Reservoir, the Great Falls area, which is actually two or three separate reservoirs, depending on how exactly you define them. And then finally into Lake Watery, and that's the last reservoir in the chain. Can you tell us a little bit about why the Catawba River Basin is so important to our area? I mean, why should charlatans care? And what are you doing that is affecting their everyday lives, maybe unknowingly? Yeah, for a lot of people, the river and even the lakes can be out of sight and of mind. If you don't have a friend or a house on, on Lake Norman or Lake Wiley, you might you know, really never have contact with those bodies of water. Uh, but here in the Piedmont, we are completely dependent on surface water for both electricity and drinking water and for, for waste as well, waste disposal. So you know, our, our aquifers around here, if you dig down, you're going to end up hitting granite. You have this kind of fractured bedrock, and it really doesn't hold enough water for a city. And so every city that you see in the Piedmont is pulling surface water. So here in Charlotte, we're getting our drinking water from Mountain Island Lake and Lake Norman. Those are the, the two primary drinking water reservoirs. And so across the basin, this uh, the water is pulled out multiple times for basically every city. Um, and so it supports drinking water for about 2 million people. In addition, uh, most of our electricity is coming from the nuclear plants, uh, the one on um, the McGuire facility on Lake Norman, the Catawba station on Lake Wiley. We also have two active coal-fired power plants uh, in the Charlotte region, the Marshall facility on Lake Norman and the Allen facility on Lake Wiley. And so we're not only getting our electricity from the hydroelectric dams there, we're also getting it from the thermoelectric facilities that are either nuclear or coal-based. Great, thanks. And I was wondering if you could give us a brief progress report on how the Catawba River Basin has been doing in recent years. I know you said you've been with the organization for five years, four of those years you've been the river keeper. So how have you seen the water quality, the water supply? How have you seen that change over the past five years? Yeah, so it's um, it's a big river basin. <laughs> it's got a lot of separate issues. Um, so depending on exactly how you're, you're looking at it and the intended use that you care about, um, you'll get a different score. And so this was actually a challenge that was brought before me in my second year here by our board said, hey, 
we need a state of the river port, we need a grade. And so we can hopefully track some of that progress over time. And so what we ended up doing was dividing the large river basin to, to smaller sub-basins. So the area north of Lake Norman, the kind of central area where most of your rears are, the South Fork Basin, and then the, the Southern Basin, and then also eventually the Water Basin. And then within those, we kind of gave separate scoring metrics. And this is all you can, you can see on our State of the River report, um, which is published online to kind of scroll through your area. We looked at things like, you know, the permitted pollution in each one. So how many discharges are there? Are they in compliance? We looked at the recreational aspects. So, um, you know, if you don't have a boat, can you still get on the water? Is it safe to swim when you get out there? Is the water being regularly sampled by the state or by other users? We looked at things um, like impervious surface. So, how much building? How many buildings are there out there? What are the types of stormwater regulations? Things like that, and then. Um, used all those uh, kind of numeric criteria that made a more general evaluation and get a grade a scoring from, from one to five, just use the kind of standard Likert scale. Um, that is obviously fairly subjective, but in my time here, I would say that although our population is growing and a lot of those pollution sources are increasing, um, I think in general, there's a lot more monitoring now. There's a lot more awareness and where things have been identified, we are seeing progress. So. I know it's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but I, it is a complicated question. It's a big basin. So some areas have certainly seen improvement. Other areas um, are continuing to, to degrade. Our biggest issue with water quality is people. It's us. Um, a lot of people end up bringing pollutants with them. So it's things like little stuff like you know, your dog waste and people dropping litter on the ground uh, to bigger issues like you know, stormwater runoff and increased you know, built upon area. And that kind of leads into my next question. I mean, what are some ways that people can help with the protection efforts? Yeah, so there's a lot of different things you can do depending on your, your time and where you are. Um, so the first one is, is vote. Um, a lot of our issues that we talk about are dealt out at the local issue. So vote in those local elections, your, your town, county, municipal elections, those have a huge impact on what happens to your water. Um, a lot of people will you know, yell and scream at the EPA every four years about something, um, but most of the issues that really are going to matter to individuals are happening at a much closer level. Um, the second thing you can do is you, know, you can reduce consumption. And so you know, there's often a saying that the, the solution to pollution is dilution. And so if you've got a whole bunch of clean water, then you know, our pollutants are diluted out. Um, it's not exactly true in all cases, but in a lot of cases it is. And so reducing both your electrical and water consumption can certainly help. Um, and then you, know, you can also not you know, add to that pollution. So things like picking up after your dog and making sure that all your, your single-use plastics, you're limiting those and the ones that you do consume, that you make sure those get to a proper disposal facility, whether that's recycling or a landfill. Um, those are kind of, I'd say, the main things. And then finally, you know, you can become an advocate. You can talk about clean water. You can go, you can paddle, you can use those resources. You can volunteer organizations like ours or any a number of other local organizations that are focusing on, on restoration and water quality. So you just said that voting is a major way that people can get involved. Who are our region's top environmental leaders and what do you generally think of them? Are they doing the right things or are there some things that they need to work on? Sure. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So we are, you know, by definition, uh, apolitical, um, but we still are advocating for all of our leaders, regardless of their party, regardless of their level, um, to keep clean water in mind. And so whenever they're voting on issues, we want them to make sure they think about how is this rezoning or how is this you know, land use policy going to impact water quality? 
Great. And I assume that some of the contamination in the river is coming from construction site runoff. I mean, you know, as you know, Charlotte is a growing city. There's constantly new projects going on and, and active construction sites. So I was wondering if you've ever had any headbutting situations with developers, maybe them not taking the precautions or the suggestions to make sure that their construction site and, and the possible contaminations are not leaking into the river basin. Active construction is a major challenge. Um, in our Piedmont soils, we have a lot of clay and most of our um, construction guidelines are designed to trap 75 to 85% of the, the total disturbed earth. The problem is that 10 to 15%. And that's going to be the small clay particles, which don't settle out in those retention basins that you see that don't get captured by the, the silt fence and other types of uh, stormwater control measures. And so the impact that has is when you look at the creeks after rainstorms, they're orange. You know, it's not all active construction. There's also bank erosion caused by legacy as post-construction stormwater. But it's, it's a real challenge that we have. Um, there are some technologies available out there, like uh, there's this type of, it's called polyacrylamide or PAMs, things that you can add to kind of settle out those, um, but they're expensive and they can be difficult to apply. Um, so that's the type of thing that we advocate for. The other thing that we really advocate for is redevelopment. You know, there's a lot of old strip malls and old mills like the one we're sitting in right now um, that are primed for redevelopment. And so by redeveloping and reusing those spaces, you're not adding additional stormwater to the area and you're not having to disturb more earth um, or cut down any more trees. And so whenever possible, we certainly advocate for redevelopment. Awesome. And can you talk a little bit about this new headquarters that we're currently sitting in, how it came about and how it's allowed you to expand your operations? Yeah, this has been a long time coming, um, but we're excited to be here uh, in Christmastown, USA in McCaddenville. And so kind of wrapping up some of our, our litigation uh, with Duke Energy, me coming to the role as Riverkeeper and us getting a new executive director. Um, we're really looking to get closer to the river. We really wanted to be on a more on the water organization, uh, kind of get out of the office and out of the courtroom um, and back into the field. And so we looked at several different locations on the water um, and we we're able to make some great contacts here in McCaddenville with some local um, redevelopers and get into this new building. So this is the McCadden Mill, uh, I believe it's the number two facility, um, but this used to be a mill structure. I think it was actually the machine shop uh, at one point. And so this redevelopment has allowed us to greatly expand our footprint, have a, a real lab now, we can process samples much more efficiently. We have a larger staff now that have dedicated space to work. Um, we can get, honestly, a lot more done. The other um, really kind of, I think, interesting and different thing about this facility is we have a front of house bar. You know, we are, we are a bar, uh, we sell beer, all of our beer comes from water pulled out of the Catawba River. And so we want people that you know don't just care about water quality and environmentalism to come by and still have a beer and talk about it. And even just by uh, engaging with us here, they can still support the mission. So all of the our sales, both in merchandise and uh, food and beverage, go back to supporting the work that the, the protection team does, things like taking samples and, and advocating for clean water. And I know that you also have a classroom here in the new headquarters. Can you talk a little bit about what that's used for? Yeah, education is a, a critical component. You know, we definitely want to make sure that people are aware. I mean, before this job, there's a lot of stuff that I just mentioned I had no idea of. You know, I didn't really know about the reservoir system. I don't think most people know where when they turn on the tap where the water comes from and when it goes down the drain, where it goes. And so we want to educate the public about that. So it's not just uh, the classroom, although we certainly 
I do a lot of classroom education, having uh, different students come here in different school groups. Um, we also do adult education. So this evening, for example, is our part of our Riverkeeper learning series. Um, we're having a trivia night and it's just all about trivia, about water quality and be talking a little bit. Um, and then you know, people can have a, a beer and support the river while they do that. Great. And I know summer is over, so people probably aren't looking to swim in the river or any of the bodies of water along the river basin. But generally, is the water safe to swim in at any spot? So sometimes yes, and sometimes no. Uh, that's our probably our most common question I get is, is it safe to swim? You know, I'm going out to the spot this weekend or my grandkids are coming in, they're going to get in the water. Is it safe for us to go in? And unfortunately, most of the time, the answer is like, we don't know. Um, unlike the beach, uh, where under the you know, Federal Beach Act, they're required to do monitoring. We don't have that same standard for freshwater unless you're in the Great Lakes. They got to carve out. Um, so our most popular uh, program is Swim Guide. So we go to about 60 sites across the basin from Lake James all the way down to Lake Watery every week from Memorial Day to Labor Day and sample for fecal bacteria, which is the best indicator of whether or not it's safe to be swim, safe to swim. Um, about 90% of the time, it is safe to swim. Where we see issues is usually right after a rainstorm. So again, there's non-point source pollutions. Um, we can have infiltration and inflow from sewer overflows coming in. But basically, two to three days after a rain event is going to be our worst water quality. Now, some areas, like our, our lakes especially, um, generally are able to absorb that and still it's going to be safe to swim. Uh, but for some of our creeks and streams, every time it rains, we see it spike. The South Fork right out our door is one of those places where it actually failed about 40% of the time this summer and did not meet those swim standards. I also wanted to ask, how was the Catawba River Keeper Foundation funded? Yeah, so we are, again, a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, our funding is, we're trying to make it as diverse as possible, again, with the um, you know, selling revenue and having merchandise, things like that. We also do eco-tours. But right now, about 60% or so, the majority of our funding comes from either grants, um, individual donations that average you know, less than $50, um, and business contributions. Awesome. And I've got one more question for you. What is your favorite spot along the Catawba River or on the Catawba River Basin? Oh, I got to be careful. You know, I don't want to give up my secret spots and certainly don't want to make this place too crowded. But uh, I, I think probably my favorite is Lansford Canal State Park specifically during the spider lily bloom. Um, so there's this one type of lily that only grows at uh, right across the fall line. It's called the Rocky Shoals spider lily. The largest colony in the world is at Lansford Canal State Park. And for about two weeks um, in late May to early June, you can go out there um, and see these you know, hundreds of thousands of four foot lilies all blooming at the same time. You can paddle right through it. It's paddling through this amazing garden and there's nothing like it. So I highly recommend that trip. Awesome. All right. Well, those are all the questions I had. Is there anything else you'd like to add that you think we should know about the Catawba River and the basin? Uh, just again, you know, thank you for your time. Uh, please become a member if you'd like to support us. You can find more information out at catawbariverkeeper.org or come by our new facility here in McCaddenville. We're going to be open all through Christmas. People will be able to park, come in, uh, have a beverage and walk through the lights. We're located at 102 Main Street, Suite 100. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Brandon, thanks so much for having me over at your new headquarters and talking with us today. Great. Thanks for having me. To our listeners, thanks for listening. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger by going to thecharlotteledger.com. And you can learn more about the Catawba Riverkeeper Foundation by going to catawbariverkeeper.org.